Calvary Chapel, uh, great to see you all once again. Uh, I'm glad you're joining us here as we continue our study through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's often said of history that those who forget history, who fail to learn history, are doomed to repeat it. I think that's so much of what we're studying here in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, as we've seen that this is Moses' final address to the people of Israel before he dies and they go on into the promised land under a new leader, under the leadership of Joshua. Uh, so we, we see Moses warning the people of Israel, reminding the people of Israel of what God has done for them. He's urging them to remember the great work God has done on their behalf to remember the failures that they have had because of their sin and rebellion against him. And he's exhorting them to walk in obedience as they go in to take the land, as they go to dwell in the land, as they settle in the land. Uh, so much of Deuteronomy is centered on reminding these people of their God, reminding them of what God has done, and reminding them to be faithful to God as they go through life in this new phase that they're about to enter into. Uh, I think there's so much we can learn from this. Uh, it reminds us of the faithfulness of God. It reminds us of the propensity mankind has to forget, that we're so quick to forget good things we've experienced, to forget lessons we've learned through hardship, and to forget God's faithfulness to us in a variety of of situations. And so as we've studied through, we've seen uh, Moses kind of begin this exhortation, reminding the people of what they've done, recapping a lot of where they've been and the experiences they've had as they've journeyed from Egypt through the wilderness to the very edge of the promised land, the land of Canaan. Uh, we covered this past few weeks, uh, uh, two weeks ago, we hit what I think in many ways is kind of the high point of the book, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, uh, that Israel's urge to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might, to love God with all that they are. Uh, if there's one point they could take away from this, that, that was to be the point. Uh, last week, Tom reminded us of how seriously God takes sin and that God punishes the wicked. Uh, this is a big deal, that God is holy and God is just. And so this week, we're going to be continuing on in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, so Deuteronomy 8 continues along these same themes. Uh, some of these verses are going to look very familiar to those of us that have read the New Testament as well. And so, by way of introduction, uh, we're going to start off our study of Deuteronomy tonight in the book of Matthew, uh, as we did a couple weeks ago. So, Matthew chapter 4 is the temptation of Jesus. Uh, we see Jesus go out into the wilderness, fast, and be tempted by the devil. Um, we see Jesus' responses to the devil are all done by quoting scripture, that he was well-versed in the scriptures of the Old Testament and knew their proper application to the situations. This is a great reminder for us of how important the Old Testament still is for us today, uh, that we have this great blessing in the New Testament, but the words of the Old Testament are still valuable, are still profitable, are still inspired by the same God that gave us the New Testament. 
So the very beginning of Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus' response to Satan in this case is to emphasize this spiritual need over the physical. He does this by looking back to the Old Testament. In this case, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, where we're going to be reading this evening. We see Again, just the value that Jesus placed on this, the emphasis Jesus gave to the book of Deuteronomy, that there's a lot in here we can still learn and benefit from. And so our main point this evening as we dive into Deuteronomy chapter 8 is that in hard times, we need to trust God. In good times, we need to be thankful to God And in all times, we should worship God and remember his faithfulness. And Moses' teaching in this chapter is going to touch on all these different aspects of this. That at all times, God's people are to remember his faithfulness and to worship him. To remember what he's done for them in both the good times and the bad. Remember the lessons he teaches them and the blessings that he gives them. That God works through both extremes of the situations that his people face just as much. Let's go ahead and get started. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So the first part of this chapter, Moses is reminding the people of what God has done for them. He's reminding them of what God has brought them through, that they've seen great ups and downs in their journey through the wilderness. They've seen God act on their behalf, and they've seen God act to humble them as well. 
He starts off in verse 1 to remember the whole commandment. And he says in verse 2 that they should remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led them in the wilderness. Or to remember all of it. The good times and the bad times. Or to remember the blessings and the difficult lessons they had to learn because of their disobedience and the suffering they experienced in that. It says in verse, at the end of verse 2, that God led them in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. That God was deliberately placing them in situations to humble them, to remind them of their dependence upon their God, to remind them that they were not self-sufficient, that they were not strong enough to accomplish accomplish these tasks on their own, to remember to be humble before God. It says that he tested them to know what was in their hearts, that they were, again, deliberately placed by God in situations that would reveal the true intentions of their hearts. I had a pastor at a church I went to when I was in graduate school. He, uh, he had a saying he liked to use. He says, you know, you, you put a tube of toothpaste on the ground, you go stomp on it, what comes out? Toothpaste. The pressure reveals what's inside. And so much the same way the Israelites were put in situations where that pressure would push them to see what was in their hearts. And we think about how often in our own lives does pressure reveal something that maybe we didn't realize was inside of us. That when things are difficult, when things are hard, that's when we respond in frustration and in anger. That's when we lash out at people. That's when we question God and what he's doing. And so Moses is reminding them that God has tested them. God has done these things to help reveal the sin in their hearts, that they might grow through these experiences and draw closer to the Lord. And the test of this, it says that he tested them to know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And what a great test that is. So simple, so straightforward. They're put under pressure, under duress, and seen if they'll stay faithful to God and continue walking in obedience to him. And how much easier is it for us to walk in obedience to God when things are easy, when things are going well? And then when things are hard, it's a little more difficult to stay faithful, continue walking that line of obedience. That's one of the the simplest tests, I think, of the heart that God gives. What happens when things are difficult? What happens when you're stressed, when you're put under pressure, when you're tested? Do you respond the same way you were before? Do you continue walking in obedience? Or does that test reveal something that you may have not realized was there, something that you need to bring before God, confess, repent of, and move forward with this newfound understanding and knowledge of how you can better obey the Lord. Verse 3, I think, is so interesting. Uh, We're all familiar with the second part of that, uh, but we don't usually see it in this context here in the Old Testament. Uh, We we hear Jesus say this in response to Satan during his temptation, Uh, but understanding what was going on in its original context, I think, gives so much more depth to these words here. It says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So God placed the Israelites in this situation, and it says that God let them hunger, that he let them become hungry, he let them experience need. And then it says that he provided for them. He fed them with manna, this miraculous food from heaven every day that they'd never seen before, that their fathers had never seen before. To remind them that man does not live on bread alone. That he put them in this situation, he let them experience want and need in order that they would be more grateful for what he is giving them. That they would see the value of what he was doing that they would remember their dependence upon their God. It says in verse 4 that their clothing did not wear out and your foot did not swell these 40 years. So God placed them in a difficult situation. They're wandering in the desert. They have often no food and no water. There's no way that they can be self-sustaining or self-sufficient in these situations. And God puts them there so that he can miraculously meet their needs and grow their faith. That God has deliberately placed them in these difficult situations to help them learn, to help them draw closer to him, and for them to be able to witness firsthand his power and his faithfulness to them. Verse, verse 5 tells them to know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And so God's reminding them. He puts them in these situations. He tests them. And then sometimes they don't respond the way they're supposed to. And so God disciplines them out of love. We think about a loving parent raising a child is the example given here. That is a father who loves his son, disciplines him, teaches him, and trains him in the way that he should act and respond. That God was doing the same thing with his children, with his people Israel during these years of wilderness wandering. That he's helping them to learn and to grow in sometimes ways that are painful. That he disciplines them when they disobey to help them learn. Verse 6 says, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. And so he gives them just these simple instructions to follow. That they're disciplined when they disobey. That God has put them in situations to grow their faith. And he wants them to obey the commandments he has given them. It says they do that by walking in his ways and by fearing him. That obedience to God is a lifestyle. Uh, that much the same way today, we are to obey God by walking in his ways. By living a life of obedience to him. Following the commands he's given and fearing him. Uh, we touched about a little bit on this before. Uh, fearing God, the fear of the Lord, is such a big concept. Uh, but so much of what that implies is a respect of God, an awe of God, a reverence for God that drives our actions. That we remember how great God is, how holy God is, and how powerful God is. And that we walk in a way 
that is in accordance with that knowledge, that we understand who God is, and that understanding helps us to obey Him. Uh, that when we're tempted to stray or to disobey, we remember how powerful God is, how perfect God is, and the consequences of not following God. And that helps steer us back in the right direction, that fear of God to help walk in obedience. Starting in verse 7, Moses tells the people of how God plans to bless them, of all God is doing for them, that he has so much in mind for these people, that he desires to do good for them. It says that God will bring them into a good land, a land of brooks, of waters, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land on which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That God was going to give them everything they needed to be successful, to be prosperous, to provide for themselves and for their families, to live a life of blessing. God was handing it all to them. His only request was that they obey him, they walk in a way that honors him, and they worship him, it says in verse 10. And really, that's so much of what the book of Deuteronomy is about, that God is doing this for these people. God is bringing the nation of Israel to this land. He's giving them this land. He's reminding them over and over that they're not getting this because they deserve it. They're not getting it because they're strong enough. They're powerful enough. They have a good enough army. God is giving this land to them to bless them. That it's not something they've earned, something that they have accomplished on their own. And so God plans to bless them, says in verse 10, that they shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So this is a response God desires from the people of Israel. That he's going to bless them. He's going to provide for them. He's going to be with them. And he wants them to in turn bless him. That the appropriate response to God's blessing is worship and obedience. God is calling his people to obey him and to worship him, to have no other gods before him, and to put him foremost in their lives. So this is the appropriate response God has laid out here. He's given, again, just what he is doing for them, kind of lay that all out before them, and then he gives them the response that he expects from that. God blesses them, they worship God, they bless God. It's interesting to think about, uh, as we read these verses too, things that we see in the world today. Uh, if we back up a little bit, again, to verse 3, talking about how God humbles the people, that God let them hunger. He put them in a place of need to grow their faith. There's so many people out there in the world today preaching a gospel of prosperity. They're telling people that God wants what's best for you, which is true. But he wants you to have everything you want and he wants you to have it right now. That if you just do these things, if you have enough faith, if you trust God enough, that you can live your best life now. You can have all these tremendous blessings. But it says right here that God deliberately put his people in need. 
that he placed them in a situation of difficulty for their good, to bring good in the end, but to grow them, to help them grow in their reliance and trust on him. That God is working to bring about the greatest good in the end, which isn't necessarily what we see as the easiest or the best thing right now. This is a great reminder of God's sovereignty and how God works. That God is not wanting to simply give us everything we want like Santa Claus. That God is working with a bigger picture in mind. That he desires to bless his people. But at times, that long-term blessing means that there will be short-term difficulty laying ahead of us. And it's important for us to remember that. I think all of us will have some obstacles we face in our lives. All of us will have times of suffering and of difficulty. And in those times, we have to remember that God is still at work, that God is faithful, and that God will bring us through those hard times with that great goal in the end, that we can trust that God will be faithful to finally bring us home safely to be with him, to be blessed for all eternity. And that should give us hope no matter what we face in life, no matter what's going on around us. We can trust because we know that God is working. Picking up in verse 11, it says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So Moses spends the first part of this chapter reminding Israel of what God has done helping them to see and understand how God was working through their suffering. And then here he exhorts them to remember, to take care so that they don't forget what God has done. That once they're settled and God is blessing them and they're living, experiencing those blessings, that they don't forget what God has done, that God gave them these blessings. It starts off, uh, he, he begins this warning in verse 11, telling them to take care lest they forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, and his statutes. 
that that's the first way they can forget about God, by not obeying him. Uh, that by failing to walk in obedience, it moves them one step closer to forgetting what God has done for them. I think we see this in our lives too, uh, that when we fail to obey God, when we're not walking close to God, we're not living a life dedicated to God, that it becomes that much easier to forget about God, to fail to see God working, to forget what God has brought us through. Uh, Deuteronomy, I think, just talks so much about the importance of obedience and that relationship with God, uh, that God has blessed us not because of our obedience, but because God loves us and blesses us, we obey him. And that helps us to remember what God has done and continue to walk in faithfulness to him. He says in verse 12, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. So he's telling them when they're settled, when all that they have is multiplied, when they've accumulated wealth, when their farms and their livestock are going well, when they're comfortable with houses settled in these cities, when they have their physical needs met above and beyond, that that is when they have to be careful, it says, lest your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord. Uh, that term uh, translated here, it says your heart be lifted up. Some Bibles uh, talk, refer to it as pride. Uh, the concept is exaltation. Um, that when this happens, when the people of Israel are settled, when they have everything they need, when they have an abundance, it says, that that's when the temptation to pride is going to come. That that's when they'll think to exalt themselves and to look at everything around them and think that they have brought this for themselves. That that is when they'll be tempted to be proud and to forget what God has done. He continues on reminding them in verse 15 of what God has done. How could they forget this? That God led them through the great and terrifying wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions and ground with no water. That he brought them water out of a rock. That he fed them in the wilderness with manna, with bread from heaven. That he did all these things for their good to humble them, it says, and to test you in verse 16 to do you good in the end. That's a great reminder of what we were talking about just a few moments ago, that God does all these things. He's working for their good in the end. It probably didn't feel like it in the middle of it, when they had no water to drink, when they didn't have food to eat, when they were being punished for their disobedience, when they were suffering. It didn't feel like God was doing good for them. But Moses is reminding them that God does all these things to do them good in the end. Again, God is looking at the big picture, that he wants that relationship with his people. He wants their obedience. He wants to teach them to be faithful to him. And that will bring about that greatest good in the end for them and the most glory for God. He's continuing to work on their behalf, even in the midst of the hard things. 
Verse 17 says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So that was a warning for the people of Israel, that when they're settled, when they have an abundance, when they're full and they're fed and they have all they need and more, that's when they have to be careful, lest their hearts say, My power and the might of my hand have gotten this for me. Moses has been reminding the people of Israel over and over again of what God has done for them, that God led them through the wilderness, God provided for them, God defeated their enemies, and God is going to give them this blessing. He's going to give them the promised land. He's going to give them cities they didn't build, it talked about earlier, crops they didn't plant, that God is just handing all of this to them. And he's warning them that when they're past this, when they have been settled, they'll come to take this for granted. That it will be a temptation to think that they have accomplished all of this on their own. They'll forget that this was a gift from the hand of God to them. In verse 18, it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So God's telling them it's going to be temptation to forget him. It's going to be temptation to think that they've done all this without God's help. And the solution for that is to remember God. It says that God gives power to get wealth. And for us to really have an accurate biblical understanding of the world around us, we have to remember the sovereignty of God, to remember that God has power over all that exists and all that happens. And that means that everything we have is a gift from God, that everything we accomplish is because of God's work. That we may work hard at something, we may accomplish great things, we may have things, we may earn things, but you go back a step and God is still the cause of all that. That whatever we have, whatever blessings we experience are because of God. Whatever work we do is because of the abilities that God has given us. Whatever wealth we have, it's because God has given us either the ability to work for that or just given it directly to us. Whatever we do in life is accomplished because God has given us the tools to do that. And so we have to remember that because of that, all that we have is from God. All that we have belongs to God. That it's easy to forget that. It's easy to get distracted by the things of the world and to think that we have accomplished these things on our own, that we have earned these things on our own. Verse 19 says, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so he's warned them of how they can forget God, that they can become prideful, they can forget what God has done for them. And he tells them that if they do this, if they forget 
God, if they forget what he has done and start worshiping the gods of the peoples around them, that they will perish. He's been telling them all about how God will fight on their behalf, how God will give these nations into their hands, God will give the wealth of these nations into their hands if they obey. And he's warning them that if they fail to obey, that just like God defeated those nations and gave them into the hand of Israel, that God can do the same thing with the people of Israel, that he can hand them over to another nation to be trodden down and punished because of their disobedience. Unfortunately, we'll see this very thing happen later on as we study through the Old Testament. The people of Israel turn away from God and worship the false gods of the peoples around them. And because of that, they're handed over to other nations that take the land from them, that bring the majority of the people into exile and take ownership of what God had desired to give the people of Israel because of their disobedience. He's giving them a warning because of this. Now, fortunately for us, uh, we're not living under the old covenant in the land of Israel, uh, that we are experiencing the blessings given to us in Christ that are not conditional, that God has blessed us all. But this is still the same God, that God still desires obedience. And there are consequences for disobedience. They may not be quite as severe as the ones here, but this does give us a picture of the God that we serve, of what he desires from his followers. As we think about these verses here, just this concept that God works through difficulty, that he puts his people in difficult situations to grow their faith, to draw them closer to him, and that he warns them against forgetting all that he has done and forgetting who he is when things are good, when things are plentiful. So think about the times in your life when you've experienced the most growth in your walk with the Lord. For most of us, it's been the times that are hard, the times that are difficult, the times where we're suffering, where we don't have everything we need, where life is not easy. And that's often the times where God is working the most, where God is growing our faith, where God is drawing us closer to himself and reminding us of our utter and complete dependence upon him. And we think about the times when it's easy to forget God. Oftentimes, it's those times when we're comfortable. That when we're in the midst of suffering, we realize that we're so dependent on God and we're quick to turn to him. But when we're comfortable, it's easy for us, like the people of Israel, to look around us and say, I, I have my needs met. I have all these things I've done. Look, I have this job. I have this home. Whatever it may be. And we get comfortable with that. And it's easy to, for us to forget those hard times and the lessons we learn from them. And it's easy for us to forget all that God has done for us. Little story uh, from my own life. Uh, so some of the, the greatest times of growth I've seen, like I said before, um, were times that were hard. Um, I think about when I first moved away from my family to go to college. I was living on my own, um, trying to figure out this quasi-adult phase of life, and uh, just really for the first time, placed in an environment that was not 
positive to my faith, a place where my faith was challenged, where living that out was challenged every day. And I spent so much time in that time period just seeking God, crying out to God, drawing closer to God, looking to Him to sustain me, to lead me, and to guide me. And later on, I settled into more of a routine with that. I got more comfortable with where I was in life, uh, with the people I was around, with the tasks that were set before me. I figured out how to do those without stretching myself too thin, and it became easier. And it was easier in that time for me to get my priorities out of whack. Um, I, uh, when I was in college, uh, a big part of my time was dedicated to competing as an athlete. And so that was one of my main priorities. You know, when I, I started off, I was, you know, seeking to honor God and to be a fast runner. And then uh, as time went on and I got more comfortable with what was going on, those priorities kind of started to shift a little bit. And uh, God was still there, but I was not following him with all that I had, uh, that he became more of a secondary pursuit for me. And so while I was comfortable there, God decided that things needed to get shaken up a bit. Uh, I had finished school, um, had somewhat successful career as an athlete, trying to figure out what was next. And God knew that I was going to continue just kind of on that same trajectory. And so he put a stop to what I was trying to do. Uh, that at that point in time, I experienced a bunch of really confusing health problems that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, my career as an athlete was just pretty much cut off right there. Uh, that I was unable to train at a high level. I was unable to compete the way I wanted to. And so God put a stop to that. On top of that, I had graduated into a terrible economy, couldn't find work anywhere. And so I find myself a washed-up track and field athlete with a bachelor's degree working as a shift manager at a pizza place. Not exactly what I had dreamt of. And it was terrible. And it was through that time that God was reminding me of my need for him my dependence upon him and the fact that all the good things I had done, all the good things I had, were gifts from him. And it was a long process. Uh, there was a couple years there where I bounced from, uh, you know, working at the pizza place, and continuing to struggle, trying to find work, volunteering with a ministry, living in a garage while I was doing that, um, just seeking God and trying to follow him to see where he would lead. And it was, again, a great period of growth, through difficulty, through trials, through suffering. And God continued to use these, continued to work through uh, just the, the confusing health problems and the difficulty finding work to grow my faith, to remind me that he was most important and that he had to be first in my life. And I wouldn't be here doing this today if God hadn't done that, if God hadn't redirected my life through these challenges and through these difficulties. And so I think about looking back on these lessons and all the growth did in that. And then I look at where I'm at in my life more recently, uh, that I'm a lot more settled. I've uh, been you know, here in Cheyenne for a few years, working in a good full-time career-type job for a few years. Uh, my wife and I own a house. We have reliable cars, all these different things. And it is so much easier right now to forget what God has done, to look around me and think, wow, I'm pretty great. 
I'm pretty cool. Like, look at this, you know, I, I have this job. I, you know, I bought a house. I'm like a real adult now. How did that happen? Like, I must be doing something right here. And it's not that far removed from where I was. But again, it's just so easy for that shift in mindset to think, hey, look what I did. No, look what God did. Remember what God did. Look what God brought me through and think about where God has me right now and the reason for that. Uh, So much of what we do in life, of how we go through life, is related to our perspective. Do we see things through the lens of what God has done and what God is doing? Or do we see things through the lens of what we want, what we desire, and what we think we've accomplished on our own? And that's really, I think, what our takeaway is this evening. That we have to remember what God has done for us. And some of you are probably in the wilderness as the people of Israel. You're experiencing those times of difficulty and of trying and testing. People have problems with their health. People have problems with relationships, problems with finances, problems with their jobs. There's so many different things that arise in everyday life that make it hard for us to move forward. And in these times, we need to capitalize on those difficulties to seek God, to be growing in obedience to God and trust that God can and will work through these tough parts. That God has a purpose working for our good through these hard times. I'm reminded of Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That God is bringing about good for us through the hard things. And some of us are living in the land of plenty right now. We're settled. We're comfortable. We have our physical needs met. Um, We're blessed. And we need to be careful to remember God in these times, to not think that we have accomplished these things, that we have accumulated these blessings out of our own strength. Whatever those may be, uh, houses, cars, hobbies, things we enjoy, we need to let these things lead us to worship of God, that we need to be grateful to God and worship Him out of that gratitude. And not allow these blessings to distract us in our pride. Uh, That so much of this, again, is our perspective. We can see the good things God has given us and think, wow, what a great God. I want to worship him because he is so good. Or we can see these blessings and think, wow, this stuff is cool. I worked hard for this. I'm going to enjoy this stuff. And again, so much of that is perspective. We have to keep that perspective of dependence and obedience on the Lord. And so as we wrap it up here, I'm going to ask Jake to come back up. Uh, That brings us back to our focus point for this evening, that in hard times, we trust God. In good times, we need to be thankful to God. And in all times, we need to worship God and remember his faithfulness to us.
Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you that you are good, that you are understanding, God. I thank you that you are working to bring about your glory and bring about our good in the end. I thank you that we can trust your ability to do that. I pray that you would be with us uh, this week, Lord. I pray that you would help us to hold fast to you. I pray for those that are suffering right now, that are experiencing hardship, that they'll be able to draw closer to you, draw near to you in dependence, knowing that you are bringing good through these difficulties. And for those of us that are in times of plenty, that are settled, I pray that you would help us to have that right perspective, to remember the lessons of those hard times and to draw closer to you in gratitude for the blessings that you have given us. I pray that you would help all of us to rest in your sovereignty and in your faithfulness, Lord, that you might be glorified. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.